Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today, as he does most Mondays, is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a review of the year uh, to date, uh, what to expect in the year ahead. We normally do a year end uh, show where we look back to look ahead and we thought the middle of the year, given that this has been such a consequential year already, uh, that we thought would do that. And we're going to have a look at the week ahead. Uh, anyway, Byron, thanks so very much for joining us. Always a pleasure having you on. It wouldn't be Monday without you. Absolutely, Bago. Always a pleasure. Uh, indeed. Thanks for joining us. And before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS, Fortress Information Security Sponsors, our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And we are a Farnborough International Airshow media partner, and our coverage of Britain's leading airshow is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. Byron, it's been uh, a very action-packed year. Uh, I, I think it's uh, safe to say, and we thought that this would be a good opportunity on some of the most important areas, uh, whether it's on the naval side of things, whether it's on cyber and on uh, the Asia Pacific, to take an opportunity to review all of uh, those just for our audience. Tomorrow will be uh, the hosts of the Cavus Ships or the co-host of the Cavus Ships podcast, Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello. Our cyber report will include Dr. Jim Lewis of CSIS and retired uh, Rear Admiral uh, Mark Montgomery uh, of the Foundation uh, for the Defense of Democracies talking about cyber news flow. And then we're going to have Randy uh, Shriver uh, for, uh, of Project 2049 and also formerly uh, the Pentagon's top uh, Asia Pacific person uh, during the Trump administration and Dr. Patrick Cronin of the Hudson Institute. And that'll be on Thursday. And then we'll have our normal uh, Friday uh, roundtable. Um, Byron, you know, give give us a sense, right? I mean, obviously, Ukraine looms uh, large. Uh, no surprise there. I mean, this time last year, there were folks talking about a Russian buildup uh, that was potentially uh, worrisome. And yet some people were still surprised on February 24 when Russia invaded. But this has also been um, a consequential year on, on a number of other fronts. Sort of walk us through what you think have been sort of the needle-moving uh, events of the year so far and what they tell us about the year ahead. Well, look, you know, we can spend the entire broadcast, Vaga, just talking about the Russia-Ukraine war and <clears throat> what it's really meant for defense. Um, you know, the, the increase in European defense spending, the kind of rush to the 2% goals, um, you know, Finland <clears throat> and Sweden uh, likely joining the alliance, um, the, the performance of the Russian military, you know, but I also think besides those kind of very specific issues, um, it's the broader impact that this is going to have on global security. Um, inflation, um, higher energy prices, uh, the food insecurity issues uh, that are manifesting themselves in, in civil instability. You know, we saw some pretty dramatic events in Sri Lanka over the weekend. So <clears throat> those things don't really touch on defense right now, at least immediately, but boy, they have some pretty interesting longer term ramifications. And if you think about where interest rates were and where they could head if the Fed is really aggressive in, um, in further trying to combat inflation, um, you know, th this was a giant rock that is still, we, we still are seeing the ripples uh, through the pond as, as all the ramifications of a Russo-Ukraine war play out. 
Um, what are some other uh, domestic needle movers? Uh, because you've uh, talked about the January 6th uh, committee uh, being potentially game-changing, uh, right? Talk, talk to us about the domestic political environment. What are some of the things we've seen in the back and forth and how this hearing that is polarizing, right, supported by some, obviously derided by uh, the GOP uh, as being nothing more than a political witch hunt, even though I think we've seen Republicans themselves and those around the president tell this story pretty clearly, but sort of your sense on what some of the, the biggest domestic news stories have been and how they're going to shape uh, the Look, rest I think of the it's year. it's been the the January 6th commission, those hearings, you know, what ultimately comes out of it, the the very sharp partisan divisions that have probably even been further underscored by some of the Supreme Court rulings, you know, and just a sense that Congress really can't get stuff done in this kind of environment. Um, I'm very interested when I start seeing, for example, <clears throat> a column today in the Financial Times, uh, you know, questioning whether or not the United States is starting to look like an emerging market. Um, that columnist at the FT was riffing off some work that's been done by a firm called uh, Geoquant that's actually owned by Fitch now. But Geoquant basically <clears throat> uses a whole range of uh, quantitative metrics to assess geopolitical risk. And, you know, they, they've kind of been working this theme for a while, but they reiterated again, uh, I guess last week, um, right after, right around July 4th, that, um, you know, while the U.S. right now is being seen as kind of a global safe haven, um, the, the governance issues, the, the kind of lack of, of you know, national unity, um, they continue to kind of frame the U.S. as looking more and more like an emerging market with the attendant risks that go uh, go with that classification. So, I you know before when we did this kind of year ahead, I really thought that was kind of the most interesting issue that people weren't really talking about because we really don't know what, what's going to happen with the January sixth commission, um, but we now know how the Supreme Court has ruled. <clears throat> There's another uh, case uh, that they're going to take up next year that has some very uh, or later at the, in the next session, it can have some very significant um, ramifications for the 2024 um, national elections. So we'll see. Um, we've just got to see what happens here. And, but I, I do think that the, the broader question of U.S. domestic stability um, in, in light of, you know, all that's been going on is something that, that people in the security business have to think about. Um, let me um, go uh, over over to the Pentagon. Um, time time and again, you know, it, it, there are many people you uh, included have been uh, talking about the importance of speed, changing more quickly, um, how to do more thoughtful a- acquisition, um, you know, and and ultimately, even though the administration was criticized. Uh, for not asking for more money. It did ask for, for, for more money. Um, it just didn't ask for as much money as it potentially needed uh, and therefore tried to be strategic about it. Um, what in the last six months suggests to you that there is a greater sense, you know, because we've been talking about a sense of urgency, the importance of moving faster for a long, long time. Um, are, are you seeing the department say and do anything that suggests to you that it's moving at the pace and the speed that it needs to move uh, over these last six months, like any sort of tangible 
evidence? It's, it's hard to say, Vago, because <clears throat> there's clearly a lot that's going on in the classified world um, that we're just not going to know about, you know, from the outside looking in. My, my broader sense, though, is still, you know, while, while um, there have been some valuations on some of these new entrants that have exceeded a billion dollars, there still really hasn't been, you know, call it kind of a, a replicate, another couple of companies that have replicated what SpaceX has been able to do in, in the defense market. And, um, you know, I mean, time and time again, you see these acquisition horizons that would kill a commercial enterprise. But um, yeah, there, there's been, I think, I, I wouldn't give them an F on this. <clears throat> I, my, my druthers are maybe a C plus. Um, they're certainly trying. But again, you know, until you really start seeing some of these acquisition timelines pulled forward, um, you know, rather dramatically, I, I think the jury's still out. I, th I think the other thing that, and we've talked about this a lot, that the uh, Russo-Ukraine war has shown in bold letters uh, is really the fragility of the industrial base and how, how can you scale this industrial base, not just in the United States, but I think it's a big issue in Europe as well, too, to meet a, a sudden acceleration in demand. And you know, that right now, um, boy, I, I still think the jury's out on that one, too. But it's catching people's attention. Um, I, I want to get to um, sort of the look ahead uh, in, in, in a little bit. But I want to also get your sense on uh, the industrial base and what we've heard uh, from uh, the big uh, players. Obviously, supply chain uh, is the big focus uh, coming out of the pandemic. Um, and, and it's interesting to me, um, you know, how the companies are investing, how they're positioning themselves, or, or maybe how they're not investing, right, which is one of one of your uh, frustrations. What do you think are sort of the, the, the top sort of corporate items over the past year that have sort of jumped out at you? One thing has still been the, um, the, the strong bias towards share buybacks. Um, you know, I think we're, we've, over the last probably six quarters, you've seen record uh, buybacks by the largest of the defense contractors in the United States. Um, they really haven't been doing much in terms of significant shifts in research and development investment. You know, there have been some, some changes in kind of the venture startup investing and trying to pull commercial technology. Uh, you know, L3 and, and Raytheon Technologies have both made some, some recent moves there. That's, that's a positive. Um, and that's not going to get captured in, in research development expenditures. Um, you know, but I'd say broadly, um, it's still pretty, pretty staid. And I think, you know, the question on my mind is, is industry really behaving as if we're at the start of a new secular growth cycle in defense spending, um, you know, or are they kind of really kind of holding cards tight, you know, no one's really offered specific guidance of the major US companies, although they haven't completed strategic planning cycles. I kind of get this. They usually don't talk about long-term growth <clears throat> from a guidance standpoint. Um, but it, it's it's intriguing to me because to the point on Congress, you know, adding money this year, you know, the, the SASC and Hasmarks, uh, Center Armed Services, House Armed Services, Marks both added uh, funding to the National Defense Authorization Act, and actually a pretty sporty number by by House Armed Services. Um, you know, eleven percent growth in investment is pretty intriguing. Um, you know, but are the companies behaving as if we've really got to start 
investing for a longer term secular competition with a, a Russia that, you know, I, I think will survive Ukraine um, and uh, a China that that threat certainly hasn't gone away. Um, <clears throat> Iran shows no sign of really, um, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't say Iran, I should just say there, there's really no sign of, of the US being able to join, rejoin the JCUPOA. You know, there was a discussion today about um, President Biden possibly relaxing the um, limitations on exports of offensive weapons to Saudi Arabia. So you kind of get into this, like, where is industry on this? And it's not just, it's not just R&D or capital equipment. There have been some new factory announcements, which I think is kind of interesting too. Raytheon, I think, just announced one, locking on a smaller scale. Um, you know, but kind of their hiring plans and, and what are they doing to develop a pipeline of skilled um, people um, that, that, you know, that's going to take a couple of years to play out as well, too. But, um, you know, with, with a very un low unemployment rate and probably zero unemployment rates for some of the trades and skills that are important for the defense sector, I just, I'm curious, you know, that the bias seems to be almost kind of, well, we're going to stick with what we know, which is let's just buy back a lot of stock. <clears throat> Maybe managements will be better at articulating that as we get through this year and into next, but... Um, you could argue that, you know, if they don't do it, someone else will, and uh, they, they can have not all their lunch eaten, but certainly portions of their lunch eaten. Everything uh, right is relative, um, right? I mean, so even if, um, you know, commentators are worried about whether or not the, the United States is entering developing nation status, right? At the end of the day, we're still the world's largest economy, um, you know, just just like, um, whatever the challenges are on the domestic political scene or whatever the challenges are on the industrial scene, we still have the biggest and most vibrant industrial base. Uh, you know, is it as innovative as we want it to be or are we harnessing that innovation? That's a, that's a, that's a question for, uh, obviously, for, for debate. I mean, from a real-world perspective, I just want to go back to that um, developing world concern why does it matter? I mean, Britain, for example, uh, is a model democracy uh, that um, is, has seen its challenges. Um, and, and certainly Boris Johnson has been as rule-breaking in the UK uh, and it's very tight uh, construct as Donald Trump was here in the United States. But Boris Johnson, I think, still mains, maintains some support in the in the electorate. I think that there's a reason why he was saying, hey, I'm still your number one vote getter. Now, I think that that may be changing, but not entirely changed, just like there's 40 percent or 38 percent or whatever it is in the in the country that still believe in Donald Trump ardently. Right. But yeah. what how does that matter ultimately? Because it seems like many democracies are facing challenges, perhaps not as profound as January 6th. But challenges in their own right, right? Emmanuel well, I think Macron it really it depends on, yeah, Vago a nationalist. Yeah, it really gets down to, you know, what? how does this play through the 2022 and 2024 elections? And then how does it affect things like military recruitment, for example? You know, um, are women going to be willing to be posted in states that have uh, very strict abortion rules or, or you know, or, or abortion or even thinking it's kind of a felony? I mean, um, that sorting out is something I haven't seen. 
Um, and I kind of try to think through, so what are some of these analogies? If we have a, a contested election again, or contested elections in 2022 and 2024, and there, there is a much greater majority of people who question the legitimacy of the election, that's something too that I don't think this country has seen. So um, it, it's, you know, the, the great sorting out, you know, when Texas Republicans, you know, contemplate secession, um, we, we've been there, kind of done that. That really didn't turn out well. But, you know, eventually the United States was reunified. I'm not implying that we're going to have the rerun of the Civil War, but this sorting out of, uh, you know, how will it how will it play through even for defense contractors? You know, if, if they if a company is perceived to um, take one strong uh, political stance, um, you know that that a state or a part of its workforce vehemently opposes. You know, it's it's very treacherous water. I think in a lot of ways, and passions are running high in this. So I worry about it, and I I I don't. You know, the UK arguably had a fairly orderly transition here um, with, with Boris Johnson stepping down. Um, you know, uh, he didn't, you know, call in a mob to storm, uh, you know, 10 Downing Street and <clears throat> claim that this was all fake news. It's, it's <laughs> I, I worry about this. Uh, it, it, indeed, right. I mean, he didn't call into question uh, Britain's uh, long tradition of, um, you know, a, a functioning electoral process, just like we've had a remarkably uh, functioning, uh, a safe, secure, insane electoral process. But I would say in, in, in terms of this sort of notion of civil war, right, those on the right, right have been discussing this for the past 20 years on and off, right? right. Um, that there is a civil war coming. That's how this is going to get sorted. A reminder, you know, we're the guys with the guns. Liberals aren't armed, right? But that, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it all of this is to me, Byron, sort of a lack of uh, uh, imagination, right? I mean, when folks tell you that we're willing to resort to force or that's what we need, you can't just dismiss that as a, as a fringe especially when fringe ideas do happen to have and may have some much broader traction. And then eventually people see it and they say, oh, my God, you know, oh, uh, the justices, on, you know, yeah. that took away, you know, scrapped Roe v. Wade. Well, I, the, the six of them were chosen specifically to strip yeah. Roe v. Wade, advance gun rights, strip the executive powers of the state. Um, right. I mean, that's. Yeah. And, right. and so I don't know, you know, I guess my sense is, you know, we, we, we could see much worse from a domestic political violence standpoint. Um, you know, what happens if someone does succeed in kidnapping a governor? What happens if instead of one lone shooter, you know, at a 4th of July parade, there are 20 shooters in 20 different cities who coordinate their actions on a specific day? I mean, it, it could be very shocking. And um, that, that's just where, you know, we kind of get back to the state of national unity. Where are we as a country? Um, and I, I think the idea, I mean, maybe it'll all work out, um, you know, cooler heads have prevailed. Um, there's certainly been times when political passions have, have run very high in this country and things got sorted out. But I, but I you know, I think in some ways the, you know, Russia-Ukraine war has exasperated, uh, has, has accented some of these these um these concerns because high gas prices high food prices i mean it's just another you know source of of stress 
that, you know, certainly not just Americans, the world is feeling, but it, it will get amplified through domestic politics. Um, I should I should point out, right, I mean, a, a lot of this is, uh, you know, gets down to voting, uh, right? I mean, a great story in the New York Times about a small Vermont town uh, that, you know, d- didn't realize that it was being hijacked. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, people realize, wow, you know, we've been taking for granted that the town meetings, you know, that smart people will be there and prevail. Um, and, you know, the town marshal came together and stopped it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, these are minority ideas, but it, they, they, you can get minoritarian rule if the majority is, you know, too divided or not paying attention or not engaged sufficiently, right? I mean, if, they're, if folks are coming out once every four years and voting, as opposed to voting in state, local, and municipal elections, I mean, remember, whether it's AOC or Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're being elected by a tiny number of people. Yeah. And, you, and can if, see, you can see that a, a silent majority emerge you know, that's very different from the silent majority that was invoked in a prior time. Um, let's uh, uh, go to um, the week ahead, uh, because uh, obviously there's a week ahead, even if both of us are going uh, over to the UK uh, for uh, whether it's the uh, RAF Global Air Chiefs Conference, the Royal International Air Tattoo or, or uh, Farnborough. Sort of walk us through uh, what's uh, going on this week that folks should be paying attention to. Well, monthly treasury statement will come out. Uh, this week, um, you know, that'll kind of round out defense outlays for the uh, the second calendar quarter of uh, of this year. That's something that certainly analysts are going to be watching. Um, National Defense Authorization Act is probably going to be taken up by the House. Uh, I expect it'll get passed with bipartisan support. So that's that's a box check that's positive. Uh, the Dutch Minister of Defense is going to be speaking at the Atlantic Council. Um, CSIS is holding an event on naval aviation and another on the State Department's role in providing uh, Ukraine with security assistance. And then on July 14th, they've got a seminar on Homeland Cruise Missile Defense, which I think will be interesting as well. You know, but by the time people hear your dulcet tones uh, again, uh, we will have been uh, through the Royal International uh, Air Tattoo uh, and uh, and then Farnborough will be will be beginning. Uh, what are some of the things that are um, sort of on your agenda uh, you think is going to happen, et cetera, right? These air shows, you know, the planning is everything, but, but you know, planning is everything. The plan is nothing. Um, yeah. You know, walk us through what's, what's, what's well, on your you mind. Know, you always you know, try and, you know, compose a list of things you'd like to learn about or understand more. I'm, I'm sure Tempest uh, is going to be on display kind of front and center, certainly at Riyadh, and then again at Farnborough. Um, you know, the, what's, what's your overall tone and tenor demand? You know, what, what are companies really saying about what they're seeing um, in terms of demand signals for, for defense? Uh, these inflation and supply chain issues we've talked about, you know, and, and kind of back to the earlier um, comments on, so what kind of cycle are you expecting here? I mean, is this kind of a, you know, one or two year pop and then we revert back to a more stay of growth or is there something really that's happening um, that's a sea change in expectations uh, that'll matter? So it, it's going to be good, you know, um, it's going to be good to get together and see everybody as much as uh, I know the weather is going to be pretty warm. And um, I suppose you really can't wear shorts at an event like this, but it's, it's that kind of weather, <laughs> Fago, that I think we're all going to be sweltering through. 
Um, well, if anybody could pull it off with uh, with an elegant pair of knee high socks, uh, Byron, it would it would be you uh, in proper Bermuda, cuffed Bermuda shorts. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 let's 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 just stop right there. Yeah, yeah, just, exactly. Or sailing attire that might be better. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, um, let me um, just ask one one last question, right? I mean, we we look back at the year. What do you think are going to be just sort of broadly? Right. I mean, Ukraine is is obviously going to be with us January 6th. You d- discussed and whether or not that that, um, you know, changes any political arcs uh, and dynamic, the budgetary situation that could become. What are some other things uh, that that you're tracking? Right. As oh, you I look back the, at the, the year and look ahead, the army downselect on the future long range assault aircraft is going to be pretty important. Uh, for what it means for Textron or Lockheed Martin, and then what it might say about FARA um, and, and how that decision could, could come down. That's obviously not this year. Um, you know, I, I think that just kind of the outcome of the FY23 uh, budget, as well as what DOD is going to uh, pull together for the FY24 budget and how things might change. And, and I'm hoping um, that you know, there's a closer, there's a pull in on some of the lessons learned from Ukraine and, and uh, the war there that, uh, that, that the DOD is not going to wait until after the FY24 poem, that they're at least going to start taking some initial swipes about, hey, what does some of this stuff mean? <clears throat> and then start funding it. Because um, uh, I, I think, you know, they should be in a position um, as these budget decisions come together, <clears throat> there won't be major muscle movements, but I think the lessons learned uh, category is something that that is going to be important as well, too. Byron, thanks very much. Bon voyage. Look forward to seeing you over in the UK. A lot to discuss and uh, will be great to see you again. Absolutely. Safe travels, Vago. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.